Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Hey, well, I want to say a big welcome to everybody who's joining us online today. If you've never been to Bright Church before, so glad you can be here today. We have been in a series. Our series is called Live Like. It's been going for the past five weeks, and today is the last week of this series. And what we've done is we've looked at six people in the Bible, six incredible leaders who led people through very difficult times. And it wasn't because they were amazing leaders. It wasn't because they were the biggest or the bravest or the strongest. It's because they listened to God. And the whole point of the series is this, is that if we can learn from their past, then we can lead in our future. And so I want to talk to you today about a leader that I think is probably one of the best known leaders in the Bible. This guy is absolutely remarkable. And I don't care if you've never been to church, I feel like everyone has heard of David. In fact, if you just, you know, if I say it in the phrase, you'll you'll remember David and Goliath. Now everyone should know who David is. But he was an amazing leader. And I don't know if you know much about David, but he was Israel's second and greatest king. He united the kingdoms. He was so so much more than that. He was a musician. He was a poet. In fact, if you look through the Bible in the Old Testament, you'll come across a book called Psalms. And in Psalms, he wrote 74 of the 150 Psalms that are in that book. So he was a musician. He was a poet. Uh, he was an incredible warrior, like very brave. And that's, that's what people know him for, especially with the story of David and Goliath. But he was more than that. He was a politician. He was very good with people. So he was just an amazing leader and he had this title that I think is probably the most envious title of the Bible. He was the man after God's heart. Wouldn't it be awesome if you were known as the person that was just after God's heart? Well, that was the title that was given to David. And when you look at this, you think he's an amazing leader. But I got to tell you that leaders aren't born. They are always made. And David is no different. He was a leader that was made a leader. And I think at the beginning in his early life, like no one would have thought that David would go on to do all of the amazing things that he did. Certainly not his dad. So let me tell you the story of David. And I'm going to begin by letting you know that David was raised up to be a leader in a leadership vacuum. In fact, there was no other leader that was there. There was a leadership uh, void. Uh, Saul was a king that was raised up uh, to be the first king of Israel. And, And you might not even be aware of this, But back in this time in Israel's history, for the first part of their time when they were living in the promised land, they had what we call judges. And the judges were the people that ruled and governed Israel. But they said, "Mm, we really would love to have a king. And so they raised up King Saul. And man, King Saul was an amazing king, at least on the outside. He had it all. He was tall, dark, and handsome. He was amazing. But on the inside, he was incredibly insecure. 
And so even though he was uh, tall, dark, and handsome, and, and he was the king, and he was selected from amongst all the people, he just couldn't get rid of his insecurities. And because of that, he cared so much about the opinions of the people. Now, there was a turning point for Saul in his story, and that's really the lead into the story of David. But Saul went out to to this big battle and he was told to do certain things and he didn't do what God had told him to do. And so after the battle, the prophet Samuel came to Saul and he said, Saul, why didn't you do what God told you to do? And he said, well, you know, it wasn't my fault. It was the people. The people are responsible. And, and, and you know, Samuel says, well, you know what? God is moving on from you. And, and he goes to turn and walk away. And Saul reaches out for Samuel's robe. And, and gosh, I hope he was wearing something underneath it because as he reached for it, he actually tore it. And as the garment tore, like think about this, to, as, not like a comeback, but sort of like, sort of like a comeback, I guess. As the garment tears, he looks back at Saul and he says, as you have torn my robe, so will God tear the kingdom from you. And so from that moment forwards, Saul became incredibly troubled. He, he had trouble sleeping. He was absolutely tormented because he knew that God was moving on from him. See, in the beginning, Israel were not even meant to have a king. In fact, if you read what the stories of, uh, in, in Judges and you read about the story of Gideon, after Gideon was incredibly successful in his defeat of the Midianites and the Amalekites, they were like, we should make him king. But he said, no, no, no. He said, God will be our king. And that was meant to be the point of difference for Israel. Like God was meant to be their king and that he would rule and govern and lead the nation. But you know how these things go. And so they said, well, everyone else has got kings. Why can't we have a king? Gosh, they were just, the grass was always greener, I guess, for these guys. But they, but they wanted a king like everyone else. So I feel like sometimes it's like my kids, you know, it's like, well, how much did they get? And I want what they got. And it's unfair. Give me everything that you gave to them. And, and so they said, we want to be like everyone else. And so, you know, God said, fine, you know, have King Saul and you can have him. And so they appointed King Saul. Now, back in this time in ancient Near Eastern culture, when a king was uh, appointed to be a king, it, they were the very uh, presence of God. That's, that's how those ancient cultures looked at them. They were the earthly representation of God. But with Israel, it was totally different. Like with Israel, the king was the king and God was God. And it's so important that we understand they, didn't still, they still didn't want to be the, exactly the same as everyone else. So here's Samuel and Samuel is very upset. The prophet Samuel, very upset because, you know, Saul has made a mistake and now God is moving on. You know, this is the first king that Israel have had. And, and so he's upset and God comes to Samuel and God says to him, Samuel, come on, man. You know, like, how long are you going to mourn over Saul? Uh, mourn over Saul? Like, I, I get that, that he didn't work out. And I, I get that you wanted Saul to be a great king, but you know what? He wasn't. And, you know, Samuel, just because things didn't work out with Saul doesn't mean that the plan has gone askew. Like, I'm, I'm going to give the kingdom to someone else. In fact, Samuel, I know a guy. I got a guy for this job. And he sends him to a man named Jesse. And Jesse had a number of sons, the youngest of which was David. And, and when Samuel the prophet comes to Jesse and they understand why he's there, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a little bit strange, but there's almost like this parade 
of Jesse's sons. And I want to read to you what happens. So I'm going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 6. It says, When they came, he looked on Eliab, who was one of Jesse's sons, and he thought, Surely the Lord's anointed us before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shamar pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Gosh, he would have felt like maybe he was hearing wrong. But, but then he asks him this question. He says to Jesse, Are all of your sons here? And he said, There remains the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now this is funny, like, and I think David had something to do with this next part. It says, Now David, says he, Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. Honestly, who says ruddy? That's just odd. He says he was ruddy, had beautiful eyes and handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. You got to understand that God doesn't see the way that we see. Like sometimes we are impressed by what we see on the outside. That we're impressed by the appearance of people on the outside, but God, He doesn't care about that. And, and that's good for you to know that because if you've ever looked at the outside appearance, you know, looked at your own outside appearance and, and looked at yourself in the mirror, and maybe you haven't been always incredibly impressed with what you see. You see your own inadequacies. You see your flaws. You see some of those things. Let me tell you something about God. He looks at what is on the inside. What's going on in your heart? What's happening in here? Because God cares so much about that. In fact, the reason that God chose David was because of his heart. It was incredibly important, imperative that the king would have a heart for God because God knew something about leadership. As goes to king, so goes to kingdom. In fact, if you sit down and you start to read the scriptures and you read through Chronicles and, and, and read through the stories of all of the kings, you will see one thing is just repeated time and time again. That when the king had a heart for God and when they were devoted to God, everyone else fell in line and the kingdom did well and everyone succeeded. And in the times when the kings would turn away from God and they wanted nothing to do with God, the kingdom would go into turmoil. It's just the most consistent thing that you see all the way through the Bible. I mean, I'm reading this and I think, gosh, why didn't they just pick up the pattern that is so obvious for us to see? But God understood this. So He wanted a great king that had an incredible heart. And I love this story. I just think I, I, I love origin stories. I love the stories of people's calling. I love where God finds people in obscurity and He 
plucks them out of their ordinary life and He says, I'm going to do something miraculous with you. And, and to so many people, they struggle to believe that God can do it. But time and time again, He does. And David's story is so well documented. It's actually a huge story. So to, so to try to condense it and fit it into the, the time that we have today, here's what I want to do. I want to tell you about two very important trajectories of David's life. I would break his life up into two parts. And the first part of David's life is his rise to power. The success, the success that he had and the succession that he had and how he continued to be raised up by God. In fact, God positions David constantly so he can grow and learn. Now, if you remember, I already told you that Saul had this you know, uh, terrible dreams at night and his soul was always in anguish and he, he needed his soul to be soothed. So his own people went and found David, who was a musician, and they said, David, will you come and would you play music for you know, King Saul. And so he was good with the harp, you know, and so he would play it and King Saul's soul would be eased, you know, and, and just being in the king uh, or kingdom and just being around the king, David started to learn a lot. Man, don't you think it's amazing that out of all of the musicians that they could have chosen, they chose David to be there? I mean, Samuel, who anointed David as king, he didn't tell Saul who he'd anointed. Saul would probably just go and try to kill him, you know. But out of all the people that could be chosen, Saul's own people select David to be in the presence of the king. Isn't it funny? Like here's Saul teaching David and David's around him. He has no idea that the person that's soothing his soul is the one that's going to take over the kingdom. I think we need to see something that's very important here. There's always an anointing for God's appointing. There's always an anointing for God's appointing. Whenever God appoints anyone to a role or a position, whatever it is that He's got for them in terms of their calling, there's always an anointing that comes with it. Now, anointing is divine favour from God that enables somebody to do what would ordinarily be impossible or ordinarily be incredibly difficult, but He gives them special favor to be able to do it. Now, I've got to tell you, God still does this today. God has still anointed people. He still sets people apart for His purposes. God still does this today. But you should know something about God's anointing. Just because God has anointed you for a specific task doesn't necessarily mean that that task will be easy. Just because you're called doesn't mean that everything you do is going to be easy. I mean, if you're called anointed and appointed by God, you still have to apply faith. You still face challenges. You still go through hard times. You're still gonna encounter opposition on your way to doing everything that God has asked you to do. God's appointments are still hard work. And the reason I tell you that is maybe you are in the middle of where you should be right now. But it's hard. And I want to tell you, don't quit. If you are where God has got you, wherever you are right now, if you are where you are supposed to be, don't quit just because it's hard. 
That's okay. There is divine favour to overcome it, but you're just going to have to step up to the challenge. Now, it happened to be for Israel that they were being tormented at this moment when we read this scripture where David is in service to the king, right? Israel were incredibly tormented by a group of people called the Philistines. Now, a king's primary function is a military function. That's the primary responsibility of kings, to make sure that they protect their people and they can keep their people safe. But King Saul is doing an amazingly inadequate job of protecting his people because, in fact, he's just scared like everyone else. There's this showdown that's happening between the Israelites and the Philistines. And there is this one man that's at the center of all of it. And his name was, you betcha, Goliath. And Goliath was the biggest, hairiest and ugliest person you've ever imagined. That's extra biblical content. The Bible says nothing about that. I thought I'd add in those extra details for you. I imagine him to be that way and it's my sermon. I'm preaching it how I want. So anyway, here is Goliath and he comes out and I want to read to you the challenge that he issues towards these people. So we're going to read out of 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 3 to 11. It says, And the Philistines stood on the mountain on, the, uh, on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now, you know how big six cubits is. My gosh, six cubits. He had a helmet that was, uh, that was of bronze on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had, a bronze, he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bearer went before him and he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and uh, if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words, uh, of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. I can understand that. I mean, the man is, is huge. He would strike fear into the heart of anyone. Meanwhile, David has gone back home and his father, Jesse, brings him some food and he says, I want you to take this to all of your brothers who were on the battlefield. That's how we know that David was young. In fact, at this time, he was actually about 17 years old. And so he goes out to the battlefield to see his brothers and he takes food with him and he gives it to the baggage keeper. And then he, he walks onto the battlefield and everything that I just said, David heard Goliath shout it. 
And then he heard something else that made him think a little bit more. He heard the reward for the man that was able to defeat Goliath. And the reward was going to be that you would become rich and you could marry Saul's daughter. Now, for a guy that's keeping sheep, boy, that sounds like a good idea. So David's kind of a little bit inquisitive, but he's got his oldest brother there, Eliab, who sees that David is there. And Eliab comes to him and he says, I know why you're here, David. I know the evil in your heart. You just wanted to come and see the battle, right? And he just starts accusing David of all this stuff. And you know, David says, gosh, what have I done now? Like, you know, I, I get the impression that Eliab, this is probably not the first time Eliab has had a go at David. And so David does something and I want you to see it. I want you to understand what David did because it's the same thing that you may need to do if you have an Eliab in your world. And upon hearing what Eliab says, it says he turns and goes another way. He just turned his back. You know, just because somebody is saying something to you doesn't mean that you have to listen to them. I don't know if you've got an Eliab in your life. I mean, I feel like most of us at some point are going to have an Eliab, someone that comes along and, and just wants to discourage you and everything that you do, they project your wrong motives on their idea of who you are. They project it onto you and accuse you of stuff that they've just made up in their head. I mean, gosh, if you've ever got someone in your life that simply takes you the wrong way all of the time, they are people full of drama and you should just turn and go another way. Don't let the Eliabs of the world stop you from doing everything that you feel God might be stirring you for. Now listen, you still need wisdom, okay? So make sure that there are people in your life that can give you wisdom, but People that give you wisdom, they're not like Eliab. They're, they're cut from a different cloth. They want to see the best for you. They want to see you succeed. That is not what Eliab wanted to do with David. And so this opportunity comes in the form of opposition. Incredible opportunity for David to move forwards. But the opposition is in the form of Goliath. And now here's what happens next. David does something that we are going to see is repeated over and over in his life. David comes and he takes this incredible problem called Goliath and he, he takes this problem to God. And one of the reasons why we know that he took the problem to God is actually out of a conversation that David has with King Saul. Now remember, he was able to get close to King Saul because they had a relationship because he was a musician in the court of the king. And so he goes to King Saul and he begins to speak to him and he says, I think I can take Goliath. And King Saul's like, are you kidding me? Now listen to the response. Listen to what David says. He says in chapter 17 and verse 36, your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. Now I want you to see two things that are really important in this scripture. The first thing that he says is, I have defeated the lions and the bears. Now, what David is saying there is not, I am strong and mighty and well-equipped and able. In fact, growing up and looking after the sheep, right, there would be times when lions and bears would attack. Now, I don't know if you've been to a zoo recently and seen a lion or seen a bear, but they're huge. I mean, they are huge, and, and, and they are frightening, right? And, and if you've ever watched, like, don't watch this movie, okay? 
The Revenant, okay? Don't watch this movie, but it's a movie with Leonardo DiCaprio in it. And there is this scene with this bear where it's tearing him to pieces. And they're horrible and vicious, right? And David says, I've defeated them. But what he's really saying is, is, Listen to the words that says, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, right? When he says that, he's saying, the odds have been stacked against me so many times in my life, but God has continued to enable me to prevail. Even when I should have been taken out, even when the bear should have won, even when the lion should have won, it didn't because God was with me. I think that that's incredible. And the other thing that you see about this is that God has prepared David for this battle by first allowing him to face some lions and some bears. Right now, some people have got lions and bears in their life. And you say to yourself, God, why do I have to deal with this? Why am I going through this? Well, what if God is just allowing you to go through this so that you can go to the next level? What if the reason why you're facing lions and bears in the present season is because He knows what's coming in the next season and He's wanting to prepare you and He wants you to see a history of Him being faithful in your life so that when the big things happen, you trust in God, you have peace. And it's not because you're amazing. It's always because God is amazing. So that's the first thing He says, hey, I've faced the before when they've been stacked against me and I'm still able to come out on top. And then he says this second thing, and I'll admit that I think this second thing is a little bit odd, right? But he says, this guy is an uncircumcised Philistine. Now it seems unusual at this moment to bring up the fact that he's uncircumcised as if it matters for the battle. Like, why would it matter if you were going to get into a fight with someone? You know, you just want to make sure whether are they, wait, are they circumcised or not? Like, I just want to, just before we fight, I just want to know, is this guy circumcised? Like, that's a weird thing to say, I'll admit, but you don't, or maybe you don't quite realize the reason why he's saying it. You see, David understood something about his people. And he understood that years earlier, God had made a covenant, which is an agreement, like a contractual agreement. He'd made a contractual agreement with a man named Abram. And part of that agreement that they had in place was that Abraham would possess the gates of his enemy. In other words, he would get victory when he goes out to war. He would have victory when he goes into battle. Now, the seal of that covenant was to be circumcised because every covenant needed the spilling of blood in order to be sealed. And so a very distinguishable mark amongst the Israelites from all the nations around them was that they were circumcised and they were saying, we have an agreement with God that's in place. And I feel like David was looking at this, which is why he mentioned the fact that Goliath was uncircumcised. And what David was really saying as he was saying, does anybody else see what I see? The guy that I'm going going to battle with, he's he's uncircumcised and I am. So the point is, is that I should be able to win this because God is on my side. We have a covenant agreement in place and I should be able to win this battle. And so with those two things in mind, he says, right, I'm going to defeat Goliath. Here's something that you need to know. Of all of the leaders that we've read about in this series, of all of them, all of the great leaders never made it on their own. They were all inadequate at some place in their life. They all had inadequacy in some way and they all 
needed God to help them. And I'll tell you why that's important because when you stop taking your problems to God, you're trying to carry everything yourself. And David, time again, like all the other leaders, they said, I, this is beyond me. I cannot do it, God. I need you to fight this battle for me. Now, the story is amazing and you already know it, but uh, let me just tell you, the story is incredible. David, you know, goes to Saul and he says these things to him and Saul says, fine, I'll give you a shot. It's actually crazy that Saul would even put the hands of the kingdom into the hands of this 17-year-old kid that sort of comes along and is now going to fight this man of war. And so Saul says, well, at least wear my armor. And David's like, I can't wear this. I can't even move in it. So what David does is he goes into the battle with no armor. He goes down and he takes five smooth stones. You know, he probably believed that God was going to defeat Goliath on the first one, but come on, it helps to be prepared. So there he is. He's got five stones just in case, right? And he goes to the battle and, and he comes and I want you to listen to the confrontation and, and the story as it goes. David walks onto the battlefield and he says in chapter 17 and verse 45, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and He will give you into our hand. Now, when Goliath heard this, he came forwards, but David couldn't wait for this battle to happen. So it says that David rushed to meet him, put a stone in the sling, swung it around, threw it at the giant, hits the giant Goliath in the middle of the head. And it says that he went down, he fell down because the stone sunk deep into his head. David runs over, gets Goliath's sword and chops off Goliath's head. That's how you know you really messed up in battle. When someone kills you with your own sword. So here he is and he's defeated it and all Israel see it and they're amazed. The Philistines, they panic because they're like, well, if God can do that with one 17 year old young man, right? The rest of them, what will he do with all of these people? They run in terror and Israel chases them down. I mean, this was a huge catalyst for David. He was incredibly successful. In fact, Saul put men of war under David's authority and everything was going incredibly well for David up until the moment that Saul became insanely jealous of David's popularity. Now, you gotta be careful of people that cannot celebrate with you. Wasn't it good for the kingdom that David was successful? Saul couldn't even see that. He was still so consumed with jealousy. Now, we don't really know. It's possible that Saul was even an Australian. He might have been an Aussie. We don't, we don't know for certain, okay? That's a joke. But anyway, because we have this culture amongst Australians, and you guys already know it. What do we call it? It's called tall poppy. And what it means is, is that whenever somebody seems to be succeeding and doing well, we just want to bring them back down to earth, right? 
Like, let's not let them get too far ahead of themselves. Like, let's just, let's just make sure that they're grounded. And, and anybody that sees the success of another person and just wants to ground them by not encouraging them and not celebrating the successes, I, I just can't understand it. I just think it's completely dishonoring. And there's no way that that is kingdom culture. In fact, Saul, he sees David as competition. Some people just want to see you fail so they can feel better about their own lives. This is where Saul and David find themselves. And so they have this kind of love-hate relationship where Saul gets angry with David and then he's appeased. And, and, and so as the story goes, and as you remember, whoever defeated Goliath was supposed to marry Saul's daughter. Now, he changed the deal. And he says, he comes to David and he says, well, you can, you can marry my daughter. Now the deal was that he should have just married her straight away. But David being the honoring man that he is, he says to King Saul, well, you know, I can't afford the bride price. He didn't have to pay it. The bride price was defeating Goliath. I think that's pretty good. And he says, I can't afford the bride price. And Saul says, oh, there's no bride price. Don't worry about it. Tell you what, David, we'll make a deal. Now, Saul's trying to get rid of David, but he doesn't want to make it obvious. So he gives him this outrageous thing to do. He says, the price to marry my daughter then is you have to come back with a hundred foreskins from the Philistines. What? This, I mean, sometimes I read this stuff and I go back to the start of the sentence and I'm like, did he just say what I think he said? A hundred foreskins from the Philistines? This is weird. Like, I don't care who you are, that's weird. Now that is odd and that's weird. And he says to David, come back with a hundred foreskins from the Philistines and, and you can marry my daughter. Here's what's weirder. David, upon hearing this, is so excited. He's, he's pumped. He's like, is that all it is? A hundred foreskins? So David goes out to battle with the Philistines. Jeez, no wonder people were afraid of David. I mean, I imagine a reputation like that starts to move around. People in the other nations will be like, you got to watch out for David. You don't know what he does to people. He will slice that thing off, you know, like he just cuts it, you know, and, and, and you know, like that kind of a rumor would spread, I imagine. But anyway, here he is back to the story and he, he goes out to battle with the Philistines. And, you know, David is kind of an, what we might consider an overachiever. So what does he do? Well, he comes back with a bag of 200 Philistine foreskins. This is just weird stuff. You know, and I don't know how he did it. How did he do it? Was it him himself? Did he have to do it? Did he, did he, did he get all the other soldiers to do it? And they, they, they passed around the, the bag like an offering? Like, I don't know. I don't know how they did it. Maybe a little guillotine. It, it's not important. Look, the point is, it's that the overachiever comes back with 200 foreskins and he marries King Saul's daughter. And this, this is just a crazy story, but he cannot stop David. He was certain that that thing would destroy David, but David just continues to rise. And I think the reason he continues to rise is because he's always honouring he continues to honor Saul. Like he continues to, to, to seek God and give his problems to Saul. And so there is this epic cat and mouse game that he begins to play with King Saul. King Saul chases him down and David escapes. And David hides with either, even with his own enemies, he had to take refuge at different times to escape King Saul. And this was amazingly difficult for David. I mean, I don't want to psychoanalyze him or anything like that, but he might have been manic depressive. And, and one of the reasons why we know 
know what he went through is that he wrote it down. That is also the same way that we know that he took his problems to God. In fact, if you read the Scriptures and you see what it says in the Psalms, there are 43 Psalms that are written by David where he is simply lamenting. He is simply going to God and he's saying, I am sick of this and I'm, people are chasing me and God, when will you save me? And God, will you restore me? And, and like he just continues to go back and say the same thing to God. Now that is a good lesson to learn because there are a lot of people that will go through difficult times and they just forget to go to God altogether. Like, um, let me ask you this question. When you wake up in the morning and you know things are difficult in your life, do you give your problems to God? I mean, do, do you give them to God every day? I think this is the secret of David's success. He just continued to hand everything that he couldn't control over to God again and again. He continues to honour Saul. And as the story progresses, and I am skipping over a bit, but eventually what happens is, is that Saul and his son, Jonathan, who was one of David's best friends, right? They die. And this is horrible for David. Even though Saul was trying to kill him, he still loved Saul. And so here he is and he, and he eventually he becomes king and he continues to, to honour the, the, who Saul was. And, and God loved these things about David. I think what God loved most about David is he had this incredibly honouring heart. Remember, it was his heart. That's the reason why David was appointed. It was because he honoured people that were around him. And 14 years after he was anointed, he is finally crowned king. And like, it's like he made it. Finally, after 14 years, he made it. To what? The beginning of the most difficult season in his life. I mean, gosh, he made it to the starting line, right? And we went through hard stuff with Saul, but, but now he's made it and he's still in the position as king. Gosh, who wants to be king? You know, like who's going to take on that responsibility? See, the thing about leadership is it also is a lot of responsibility. And I know that sometimes we, we see this even in churches today. I mean, think about it. And I've experienced this many times where you see somebody who's got talent and skills and ability and time, they just don't want responsibility. And it's not like they can't do it. They've got everything that they need. They just don't want the weight of responsibility because that thing is its own beast. Now, if you only see leadership as responsibility, you're not seeing the other side of the coin, which is it is an incredible privilege to lead anything. And the reason is, is you get opportunity to change it. You get opportunity to take it in a better direction. So here is David. He unites the kingdoms. He continues to go on and, and have incredible success. He's still rising, but then he makes a decision which marks the tipping point of change in David's life. And up until this point, it has been success and success and he's continued to rise. But now the next decision that he makes sees a sharp turn in the trajectory of David's life. And he goes and he has an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. Now to cover the story really quickly, the Bible says that in the days when the kings were meant to be at war, David was at home. 
Good lesson to learn. Be where you're supposed to be. Get out of the wrong environment. environments, get into the right environments, okay? So here's David, and apparently he didn't have any kingly responsibilities at the time because he's just walking around on the rooftop of, of his palace, and he sees a woman taking a bath. And he thinks, man, she is all right. So he invites her to come to his house, and she comes, and we don't really know how she responded because the Bible says nothing about Bathsheba's response, but he's, he essentially he, he sleeps with this woman who was married to a man that was a soldier in David's army, a man man named Uriah. And the next morning he just sends her away. Now, I don't even think David felt bad about it. He had what he wanted and he just moved on with his life. Or so he thought. Turns out that Bathsheba is now pregnant. Now, kudos to David for not actually killing Bathsheba and trying to hide it. He actually wants to try to do the right thing. And so he thinks, how am I going to get out of this problem? Now, this is very interesting because every time David had a problem, he would go to God. On this occasion, we see him break from previous tradition and he says, I think I can solve this. So what he does is while the rest of the army is at war, he pulls her husband named Uriah, pulls him back from the battle and says, hey, come come back home and I just want to meet with you and talk to you. And he finds out a way to do it. And then while Uriah is there with David, he says, um, Uriah, why don't you go home and you know spend some quality time with your wife, if you know what I mean? And Uriah says, "Oh no, 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 no! I can't do that. You know, it's it's, it's against the law of Israel. I, I cannot go back and spend that time with my wife." And he refuses to do it. Well, David's completely frustrated. He's trying to come up with a great way to get Uriah to go back and sleep with his wife, so he can cover the mistake that he's made. And so he says, "Right." He steps it up a notch. The next day, he gets Uriah drunk. Come on, this story is incredible. Sex, adultery getting drunk. Wow, all in the Bible. How about that? Even from King David. So King David gets this guy, uh, Uriah, drunk. And then he says to him, go home and spend time with your wife. Well, you know, Uriah is so honoring, he wouldn't even do it. And David's thinking, how am I going to cover this thing up? Everyone's going to know. So he does something that is so, so wrong and so bad. He sends Uriah through his uh, the commander of his army, and a guy named uh, Joab, he sends him into the heat of battle and then he commands Joab and all of the people to pull back so that Uriah is left fighting on his own. And as you guessed it, Uriah is defeated in battle. But let's not be confused. He was murdered by David and David murdered him to try to cover up the whole story. Now see, defining moments are often disguised. And I don't think that David understood how much this affair was going to cost him. I mean, if he had someone that was there and said, David, this will be the turning point for things in your life because you have now dishonored people and you haven't gone to God with your problems, you are going to go through significant challenges, right? I don't think David understood the cost that was hidden in this moment. And so David doesn't go to God. And you know, all of this stuff, I read this story, you know what I think? I think David did this because he was bored. I do. I, I think he did it because he was just completely bored. You know, boredom does funny things to people. Do you know what boredom actually means? If you look it up in the dictionary, it is this feeling of being unsatisfied. David should have been at war, but here he is in his home and he's, he's unsatisfied. 
You know, when people are unsatisfied, they will look for things to satisfy them. They will look for things to fill their life with. And I don't know, David must have had quite the appetite because he already had a number of wives and a number of concubines, but apparently he just needed Bathsheba as well. And so he takes this woman. He ends up making her his wife. Here he is making a terrible mistake with his life. And he was looking at Bathsheba on that fateful day, saw her taking a bath, and the first thing that he should have done is look away. But he didn't. It begins with a look. He's looking and he keeps looking. And eventually the looking leads him to make a decision that he would regret significantly. Man, there are just some environments that you need to get out in, get out of. If you're in an environment where you know you're going to be led down the wrong path, wherever you are, as I said last week, if you can't handle it, you've got to get rid of it. Get rid of anything that's going to get between you and God. David didn't do this. He looked. He shouldn't have been looking. He kept looking and he ends up being in a terrible position. I want to ask you a question today. Where are you making compromises in your life that if people discovered those things, it would be a sharp decline for you? Where are the boundaries in your life that you're crossing right now? What are the secrets that you're keeping right now that if other people were to discover, it would be a tipping point in the trajectory of your life, that it would cause you to go into disrepute. Your reputation would be ruined. What is in your life, if anything, what is in your life that you're compromising? Or where is it in your life? David dishonored Bathsheba, Uriah, Joab, the commander of his army, but most of all, he dishonored God. And like, what would you do? What would you do if you were in this situation? If you were caught like David? I mean, do you run? Do you hide? Adam and Eve, they tried that when they were full of guilt and shame. They ran, they hid, you know. It would be reasonable at this point to imagine that most people, when they've crossed a boundary that they know they shouldn't cross, when they've done things that they know is wrong, they just want to run and they want to hide from God. But David, David says one thing that is incredibly important for the rest of his story. He says, I need to come back to you, God. If you want to live like David, and you find yourself far from where you should be, you need to come back to God right now. And I don't care what boundary you've crossed or what mistake you've made right now. If you make the decision, you can come back to God right now. This is exactly what David did in this moment. And he comes back to God and he gives his problems to God. And if you get one thing out of this message, let it be this, you've got to give your problems to God. You gotta keep handing them over. You gotta keep handing everything that you can't control because newsflash, you can't actually fix all of your own problems. And so David comes to God and he gives him this incredible challenge that's in his life. And he writes this Psalm and the Psalm is Psalm 51. And I wanna read part of this Psalm to you because in this Psalm, we see David pouring out his heart to God. He says, hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me and cast me not away from Your presence and take not Your Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Lord, if you would just find a way to forgive me of all of my mistakes and my sins. And God, I I don't even wanna go after those things anymore. I want you to renew a, a different heart in me, create a clean heart, one that's not hooked on this stuff. God, I wanna return to you. I wanna get things right. I want a fresh start. David is just hoping that God would be willing to give him a fresh start. And when I read the Scripture, I realise, you know, we may not have done what David did, but I promise you, we are not dissimilar from David. He made mistakes and so have we. And maybe you've had an affair and maybe you haven't, but either way, the Bible says that all have sinned. We've all made mistakes, every single one of us, me, you, everyone. You're surrounded by someone or by people everywhere that have made mistakes. What we need is what David was asking God for. We need the exact same sin. What would we do? Well, I'll tell you something. David wrote 10 Psalms that point to a future King that you can always come to. And that King is named Jesus. And He is named the King of Kings. And He is the Lord of Lords. He is the one that you can come to in every season, in every situation, in every circumstance. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you find yourself from God today, I promise you this, that if you come to come to God, you will find grace and you will find mercy because that's who Jesus is. If you look to the cross, it tells you everything that you need to know about this King we call Jesus. He came from heaven to earth and He lived the perfect life that you could never live. And then He died the death that every sinner should die. And He says, anyone who puts their faith and their trust in me, they shall have eternal life. See, you get a fresh start with God. I don't know how bad you've messed up in your life. I don't know how many mistakes that you've made, but if you want a fresh start in life, you can come to the King that never failed, the true King, the faithful King, the one we call Jesus. And every single time you find the grace of God, you know, every leader that we've read about in this series, everyone that we've looked at, all six of them, they were ill-equipped, they were fearful, they felt inadequate, they were outmatched and they were overpowered and they had all of these challenges that they could face. But the one thing that each of them did is they just went to God and they said, God, I cannot do this on my own. And so maybe that's how you felt at different points. Maybe you think, I could never be a leader or a person of great influence because I have challenges. You are no different to these people. Every single one of them had challenges. They had insecurities, but they gave everything to God. And despite the fact that they had flaws, God continued to work in them. And I tell you the truth today, that if God did it for them, He can do it for you too. But the thing that you need to do is come and bring every problem before God. Here's how I wanna finish today. I wanna pray for anyone that in all honesty, after looking at this series says, I wanna be a person of influence in the world. I want to change the world that's around me. I know I need to lead people to God and I wanna pray for you right now. So let me do that. Lord, I pray for every single person right now that says, God, I wanna change the world for the better. I wanna see it different. I wanna be used by you. 
I want you to choose me, God. I'm putting my hand up. I am saying today that I will take the weight of responsibility. I am saying today, God, that I will do what you ask me to do. I will go where you send me. But Lord, I'm gonna need some help to do it. And I pray for every single person that has that sense or that feeling or that thought pattern. I pray, Lord, let Your grace come right now. Let Your grace overwhelm them. Let Your Holy Spirit work through them. Cover their inadequacies. Help them to bridge impossible gaps. Lord, we know that for every anointing, there is an appointing, God. You've anointed people and appointed them to specific tasks. And I I pray, let divine favour and grace be all over them for everything that you've asked them to do. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.